this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. This morning I'm preaching on this subject, Jesus, our great heavenly high priest. Jesus, our great heavenly high priest. After Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Bible says that he entered into that within the veil. Jesus entered into heaven's holy of holies. He has gone beyond the veil to take the blood of his own sacrifice and pour it out to atone for our sins on heaven's mercy seat. The reason Jesus can go beyond the veil into heaven's holy of holies is because he is our great heavenly high priest. In Hebrews chapter 7, you have to understand the purpose of the book of Hebrews to get this chapter. This book is being written to a group of new Jewish Christians. And the book of Hebrews has been written to show these Jewish converts that Jesus Christ is better. And in this case, he is better than their old religious system. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is saying it just doesn't get any better than Jesus. Now these Jews had embraced Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. And now they're being told that they do not need an earthly high priest anymore. They've been told that Jesus is their great high priest. And that, of course, raises some questions from these people that had always got to God by way of an earthly high priest. That's where the writer of Hebrews comes along now and reminds them of this Old Testament character named Melchizedek whom the Bible describes here in Hebrews as a man who was like unto the Son of God. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting character in your Bible. And he is very easy to overlook if you're not careful because he's only talked about really in three places in your Bible. He's talked about in Genesis chapter 14. He's talked about in the book of Psalms. And then he's talked about here in the book of of Hebrews. So it's real easy to just kind of look right over and not give much attention to it. But if you overlook Melchizedek, you're going to miss a tremendous blessing and some remarkable truth about our great heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I want us to do for just the next few minutes is I want us to think about Melchizedek and I want us to think about Jesus and consider Jesus our great heavenly high priest. As we learn about Jesus from Melchizedek, the first thing I want to call your attention to in verse 1 is his titles. His titles. In verse 1, we begin to read the titles of Melchizedek. He's called in verse 1 the king of Salem and the king of Salem and the priest of the most high God. King of Salem, priest of the most high God. Now, Melchizedek is an unusual character, and for, for one reason, is because he is a, a man that held both the position of priest and king. Priest and king. Very unusual that he was both. As a king, he had power with men. As a priest, he had power with God. 
Now, there's only one other man in your Bible that held position of both priest and king. Only one other. And that is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as our king, he's the king of all kings. As our priest, he is our great heavenly high priest. Melchizedek is the only other man to ever hold both these titles. Now, that probably uh, doesn't shake you up a whole lot this morning, but if you'd been a first century Jew, that would have shaken you uh, to hear that Melchizedek holds both these titles. Because you see, in the Old Testament, God separated the office of the priest and the king. A man could serve as a priest or a man could serve as a king and one or the other, but he couldn't do both. God had separated that. In fact, God took the whole matter of separating those two offices pretty serious. There was a king one time by the name of King Uzziah. You can read about him in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, the, the great chapter where it says, Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. You have any idea why King Uzziah died? King Uzziah died because as a king, he tried to go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice as a priest. He tried to go and do a priestly work. King Uzziah did, and God said, no, you're not going to do that. God smote him with leprosy, and King Uzziah died for trying to combine the priesthood and the king's throne. But now God shows us through Hebrews how he is allowed for Christ to be king and priest. If nobody else could do it, how could Christ do it? Well, a precedent was set. It was a special circumstance, and the precedent was set by this man, Melchizedek. Christ can be their king and their priest because he comes after the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's interesting in and of itself. Uh, all the priests in Israel came not after the order of Melchizedek. They came after the order of, of Aaron. Uh, they came out of the tribe of Levi. The high priest came from the order of Aaron. The priest came out of the tribe of Levi. But, of course, Jesus comes by way of a different order. Uh, Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus came from the tribe of what class? Judah. Judah. Uh, so, as the Jews would say, he, he wouldn't be qualified to be an earthly high priest, but the writer of Hebrews reminds him that he's not a priest after the order of Levi, after the order of Aaron. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And because Jesus comes from a different order and he's now their great high priest, he's saying to them, you don't need an earthly high priest anymore. You've got a great high priest. Now, the Jews had always come to God by way of an earthly high priest. But things have changed. And now, because Jesus has given himself as a sacrifice on the cross, and he has carried his blood into heaven's holy of holies to pay for man's sin, that old religious system of Judaism, that thing's done. It's done away with. Why? Because there's something far better. It's no coincidence, ladies and gentlemen, that after Jesus died, the sacrificial system stopped over there in Israel. They don't even have a temple today. They're not sacrificing anymore in there, there in Israel. The time of sacrifice is not needed anymore because God has given us something better. Christ has given us a new and a living way the old priesthood has been replaced. And so I'm saying to the Hebrews... God is saying, you don't have to come to me through an earthly priest. You can come to me once and for all by the way of my son, the great high priest, the Lord Jesus. 
Now, this Melchizedek character in your Old Testament, he represents Christ back there in your Old Testament in his titles. Uh, first of all, the name Melchizedek, it means king of righteousness. Now, it's not too hard to see the tie between that and Jesus, is it? King of righteousness. But verse 1 also tells us that his title is King of Salem. Did you see that? Melchizedek, King of Salem. You may recognize the name Salem a a little bit better if you pronounce it the way it is pronounced today. Jerusalem. Salem, the King of Salem, King of Jerusalem. Uh, Now, uh, listen to the end of verse 2. He's the king of righteousness, and after that also the king of Salem, which is king of peace. As our king of righteousness, Jesus Christ has become our king of peace. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. You and I can have peace with God today because Jesus Christ has made peace with God for us by His own blood. He's our King of righteousness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. See, ladies and gentlemen, if we have a righteousness of our own, and by the way, you don't have any righteousness. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you ain't no good. Go ahead. <laughs> That's just true. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous. There's none good. None good. None righteous. No, not even one. And since you and I have no righteousness of our own, it is only through the righteousness of Jesus that you and I can have a relationship with God. Friend, I want you to know, me and you, we got a sin problem today. And that's big trouble for us in eternity. So God has made a way by which the righteousness of His own Son can be placed over onto my account. And when I stand before God one day in my, uh, in my sinfulness, God doesn't see my sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of His Son and permits me to be His child, permits me to be one of His family, permits me to go to heaven, not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good. And as the King of Jerusalem, well, He's the King of my peace. Jerusalem, of course, is the city of peace. How ironic. One of the most contested cities in the whole world is the city of peace. Well, it is the Lord's city. and Jesus will rule as the Prince of Peace from Jerusalem one day. And He's my King of Jerusalem. He's the King of my peace. I have no peace with God at all apart from Jesus Christ. But thanks be unto God, Jesus made peace with God for me. Notice... His title shown him to be our great heavenly high priest. But secondly, he's our great heavenly high priest because of his tithes. His tithes. Verse 3 is still talking about Melchizedek. Listen to verse 3. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now, Melchizedek is interesting in that there is no mention of him having an earthly family. 
Do you notice that verse 3? No father, no mother without descent, no beginning of days. Uh, that's very unusual, especially for a guy back in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, pedigree was very important. I'd prove to you that pedigree was important. That's why we got these ongoing, seemingly never-ending chapters that go, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so Do you know the chapters I'm talking about through your Old Testament? Why are those chapters there? Because pedigree is important uh, in the family of God, and in, in, in the family of the children of Israel. Uh, the book of Genesis is predominantly a book of genealogies, yet Melchizedek pops up in Genesis chapter 14 without any genealogy at all. It's almost as though Melchizedek appears from out of nowhere. Genealogically speaking, he's without father, without mother. He has no revealed history. All of a sudden he's there, and then all of a sudden he's gone. Quite interesting. There's no record of his birth. There's no record of his death. So symbolically, he has no beginning of days. Symbolically, he has no ending of his days. What is Melchizedek tied to? He's tied to eternity. Way back there in a place we cannot see. And in his ties, he points us ahead to another one who would have ties to eternity. I hope you do understand, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is not of this world. Christ is tied to eternity. You say, oh, I thought Jesus began over there in Bethlehem. May, may I remind you, Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. He was existent long before uh, Luke chapter 2. He was existent long before Bethlehem. I have to preach and remind you about the fourth man in the fire in the book of Daniel. Who was that? It was none other than Jesus. Christ is not tied to an earthly origin. He exists way back there in eternity past. He will exist way out there in eternity future. Well, then what's the Christmas story all about? Well, it was at Bethlehem that Christ became a man. He didn't, he didn't start existing at Bethlehem. He started existing as a man in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we quote that verse a lot at Christmas, but it says a lot about the theology we're talking about today. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is what? Given. You see the difference? It was a child that was born in Bethlehem, but the son was not born. Why? The son was never born. The son always has been. He is tied to eternity. It was the child that was born. And so in the book of Genesis, when God leaves out the uh, genealogy of Melchizedek, the reason he leaves it out is because he's pointing us to another one who would come after him that did not have an earthly origin. He had an eternal Origin, or no origin at all, really, just as always has, always has been. And because of that, he is our eternal high priest. And so because he has no beginning, and because he has no ending, and that's my favorite, I can't hardly get my mind around no beginning, okay? I can't get my mind around that. I can kind of get my mind around no ending because that's me now. I've got eternal life. So I thought a lot about that. I can't grasp the concept, really, of no beginning. But I really get jazzed up about this idea of him having no ending, no ending, living eternally. And let me tell you why. Because he is eternal in the future, and he is my priest, I 
a priest that is eternal. In other words, I have a priest that will never die. Now listen, some of you, if you understand that, you ought to just bless God a little while today that you've got a priest that will never die. And some of you that, that, that aren't blessing him yet, maybe it just hadn't clicked yet. Let, let me tell you why it's important that your high priest never die. Because ladies and gentlemen, the priestly work of Jesus is what is keeping you saved today. As long as Jesus is doing the priestly work, then you're going to be saved. But if his priestly duty ever stops, you're going to go to hell, and I am too. So, so bless the name of God, glory today, that our high priest is never going to die. We don't have an uh, earthly high priest today because we've got a heavenly, eternal high priest. Uh, Melchizedek's ties point us to Jesus. Uh, notice number three, we see that Melchizedek points us to Christ in his tithes. His tithes. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now back in Genesis 14, you can turn there if you want to and read about it. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham had returned from a battle of the kings. Now why was Abraham fighting a battle of the kings? Well, he had a, he had a wayward nephew that was always getting into trouble. That nephew chose to live out on the wrong side of town to run with the wrong crowd. And Uncle Abraham was always having to bail him out. Do you know who that nephew's name was? Lot. And Lot was a lot of trouble. Okay? You remember that about Lot. Lot was a lot of trouble. And Lot got over there near Sodom and camped over there. Well, they had a war over there. And one of the enemy kings came and kidnapped uh, Lot and his family and took him way up north. Well, here comes Uncle Abraham to chased him down, and Abraham got 300 of his servants and trained for battle and went up there and took care of business. And his own private contracted army went up there and got his son, uh, his nephew back and brought him home. What's that idiot Lot do? He goes right back to Sodom and loses the rest of, you know, everything over there. His wife and everything just can't get him. But when Lot came, when, when Lot was brought back by Abraham from the battle, as soon as they got back from the battle, Abraham is met by this mysterious king priest, Melchizedek. Melchizedek just appears from out of nowhere when, Lot, when Abraham returns from the battle. And the Bible says that Melchizedek brings bread and wine. Bread and wine to Abraham. And Abraham and Melchizedek sit down and they have a meal consisting of bread and wine. Bread and wine. Do you see anything in that? Bread and wine. They're having the Lord's Supper. Abraham and Melchizedek. Now the cross hadn't happened yet, so they're partaking of the Lord's Supper by faith, looking ahead to the cross. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, you and I partake of the Lord's Supper by faith too. We look backwards to the cross. So they're observing the Lord's Supper. But now, after they get done with the meal, the Bible says that Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, some people claim that we don't tithe because 
we're not under the law anymore. But the tithe was before the law. Did you see that? All the way back in Genesis. And this tithe was not given as a legal obligation of Abraham. It was given as a token of love and appreciation. For what? For what? Well, what had Melchizedek just given Abraham? Bread and wine. Bread and wine. Bread and wine. Do you see that picture there? The picture there is that Abraham is giving a tithe to show the Lord, Lord, I love you for the sake of that bread and that wine. I love what you've done for me or what you're going to do for me in that bread, the body that you're going to allow to be broken, that wine, the blood that you're going to allow to be shed. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't give an offering or a tithe here today as a matter of some law. We give a tithe as a matter of love. As a matter of love. Melchizedek points us to Christ in the tithe. Why do we give to the Lord? Why do we have an offering? We give to Him because He gave to us. We give so that others can know about the bread and the wine. So that others can know about the body that Jesus allowed to be broken. So that they can know about the blood that Jesus allowed to be poured out. That's the message this whole lost world needs to hear. And so that's why we give as a church. Not out of law or legal obligation. We give out of love so people can hear about the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Melchizedek points us to Christ in the time. But in verse number 11, we see Jesus as our great heavenly high priest. We see that number four in his task. His task. In the next seven verses, starting in verse 11, we see Jesus doing the task for us that the old priesthood could not do. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, If therefore perfection, perfection or completion is what that means, if perfection or completion were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? What the writer of Hebrews is saying right here is that under that old priesthood, the task was never finished. The job was never accomplished in the old priesthood. You remember in the Old Testament, they had to present a sacrifice, then the next year they had to come back and present another sacrifice, then the next year they had to come and do it all over again. That priesthood of the Old Testament never fully accomplished the task. Oh, there was no perfection in it, no completion in it. What did, the, what did the sacrificial system of the Old Testament accomplish if it accomplished anything? All it did was it delayed the wrath of God for another year. That's all it did. It delayed the wrath of God for another year. It was kind of like paying interest. All it did was pay interest on what was due to God so that the full payment didn't come due. You know what I mean? And so they had to keep doing it. They had to keep doing it. It delayed the wrath of God. It paid the interest. That's all it did until the day when there would be one who would come and pay for it all. The Old Testament sacrificial system never paid the once and for all price. I'll tell you some, another way that, that that system never finished the task for man. 
Even in the Old Testament, even though they had a high priest back then, that never worked perfectly because men still did not have access personally to God. Men didn't have access personally to God. You know how you was able to kneel down and pray in His presence this morning and talk to Him? You, you wasn't able to do that back there. You had to go by way of a high priest. You had to go by the way of the high priest. Uh, you know how you can uh, come and you can abide in His presence and have fellowship? You couldn't do that. Now, the priest could go in there, but he didn't stay there long. In fact, he got in there, got the job done, and got out as quick as he could. It's a very dangerous thing. Uh, the Old Testament priesthood did not accomplish the task. But listen to verse 19. You get down to verse 19, the Bible says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by which we draw nigh unto God. Now, God's law established a priesthood for those Jews. God had uh, uh, a ceremonial law. It was one of the laws he had back there in the Old Testament. But that ceremonial law never finished the task. When Jesus went to the cross, he, however, made a once and for all sacrifice for our sins. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? At the moment Jesus died, something very significant to do with the priesthood took place. Over there in the temple, the Bible says the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Jesus took to the task at Calvary of tearing down the veil between God and man. And now that partition has been divided. The way has been opened. And the writer of Hebrews says in verse 19 that this is the bringing in of a better hope. That's what it made it, made it possible for an old sinner like me and you to go into the presence of God and draw nigh unto God. That little phrase, draw near or nigh unto God, that is not a phrase you hear a whole lot in the Old Testament. Men and women don't draw nigh to God back there in the Old Testament. There's a distance, there's a gap, there's a separation between God and man because God is holy, man is sinful, there's a veil between the two. But today, we have a great heavenly high priest. He's completed the sacrificial task. He shed his blood, it's been offered as a propitiation, the atonement for our sins, and our heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus is still up there, the God-man, in a literal body, up there in heaven's holy of holies, and he's still doing the priestly work for me and for you. And let me tell you why that's important. Because every once in a while, my accuser, the old devil, will begin to point his finger at God. And because the devil knows that the wages of sin is death, the old devil begins to demand of God. Shed Smith down there sinning. God, you're going to have to kill that boy. He, he, he's, he's sinning. He's guilty. There's a handwriting of ordinances, a list a mile long of things wrong. I've done that my old accuser presents to the old devil. But when the devil gets to accusing me, thank God, I've got a heavenly high priest there in heaven's holy of holies. 
sitting there with a receipt of my redemption to point to the blood and say, oh, devil, yes, that sin, but the thing about his sins is they're under that blood right there on that mercy seat. The salvation task has been completed. Now I've got a heavenly high priest that proves it. He proves it. Now look with me at verse 18. I'm going to go back a verse and then go to the end of the chapter. In these last verses, we see our great heavenly high priest and his testimony. His testimony. Verse 18 says, For there is verily a dissimulating of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. What that means is is those ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, those things have been set aside. That's why the word disannul is used. You see that word disannul? It means that you disannul something, you set it aside and you replace it with something else. Now, does that mean the Old Testament's no good? Uh, Does that mean that the law's no good? Does that mean that we just disregard everything back there in the Old Testament, what the Old Testament law says? No. No. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, Paul says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. We don't disregard the law because the problem is not with the law. The problem is not the law. The problem is human flesh. What you and I need to disregard is not the law of God. It's the flesh of humanity. The problem is not with God's law. The problem is with man's flesh. Now, you and I, we can't live up to God's standard. God still demands perfection according to His law. The problem with us is we can't keep the law. The law of God has showed you and I how weak we really are. So the testimony of Jesus is this. He came to earth. And he did keep the law. Jesus kept the law. And so today, my salvation is not based upon my ability to keep the law. My salvation rests on my relationship with the only man in human history who did keep the law. That's where my salvation rests. The only one in human history that kept the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think today that somehow you're getting to heaven because you're good enough, I just dare you. In fact, like we used to say in school, I double-dog dare you. To just lay this week, the last seven days of your life, against the Ten Commandments and see how well you did this week. We don't measure up, ladies and gentlemen. You and I are not getting to heaven on our goodness. Keeping the law wasn't going to get us to heaven. So what did God do for us? He made a better way. A better way. The way is Jesus. I'm not going to walk through the gates of glory because of my testimony. I'm walking through the gates of glory because of His testimony. His testimony. And maybe that's what somebody in this room needed to hear today. Because you put all the pressure on yourself. You, you, you know you need to get saved, but here's what you think. Well, I'll get saved when I'm living. Oh, beloved, you, you're not going to be able to live it. And do you understand me? The Christian life is not a life you live. The Christian life is a life that is lived in you and through you. It is the life of Christ. This old legalism and garbage that tries to clean man up from the outside in, that does not work. 
Gee, that's the way the Pharisees lived. Jesus said to them old Pharisees, he said, you're like white sepulchers. You're like a beautiful grave tomb. Oh, you're pretty and polished on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Ladies and gentlemen, trying to reform a man from the outside in, that's like trying to put a dress on a pig. Just don't work. It just don't work. Man's got to be changed from the inside out. And some of y'all needed to hear that today. Because you put all the pressure on you. Oh, I'll get saved when I'm living. You sound like the guy that says, I'll go to the doctor when I'm well enough to go. No, ladies and gentlemen, you don't get well until you go see the great physician. You understand? You can't believe it. He never said you could. But he can believe it. And he always said he would. And today he's still keeping his word. His testimony's not shaken. Verse 23, look at it. It says, they truly were many priests. Talk about the Old Testament. Because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. Verse 23 talks about the testimony of those priests in the Old Testament. You know something about their testimony? was they lived and they died. Our, our great high priest lived, died, and lives again. Those high priests, they lived and they died. They died. Never to do the, the priestly work again. You understand? But our uh, our high priest, you know, when their high priest died, they'd have to go off looking for another high priest. But ladies and gentlemen, our great high priest lives and lives forever. Well, we're not looking for another high priest. We've got the eternal high priest. Verse 24 says, but this man, talking about Jesus, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus is our eternal heavenly high priest. And because of that, look at verse 25. It says, wherefore he, because he's an eternal heavenly high priest, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Right there is one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the Bible. That's the whole essence of the gospel right there in verse 25. Christ is able to save us to the uttermost. You know what the word uttermost means? It means completely. Completely. Eternally. I'm not halfway saved today. I'm completely eternally saved today. I'm saved to the uttermost. I've got assurance of my salvation today because one day, many years ago, I gave my life to Christ. I received the forgiveness of my sins. And I know I'm going to heaven one day. And not even the devil can do anything about that. I'm saved to the uttermost. There's eternal security right there again in verse 25. I'm going to heaven because I've got an unfailing, great, heavenly high priest that ever lives to make intercession for me. He died down here to get me saved. He lives up there to keep me saved. And he keeps on giving me his life. That's his testimony. And his testimony is why my testimony needs to be like that of Paul. When Paul said, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. We've got a great heavenly high priest. Why would we need an earthly high priest? Why would the Jews need an earthly high priest? We've got a heavenly high priest. Why would the Catholics down here or, 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 and over there, why do they go talk to an earthly priest? Why do you need that? You don't. 
Hebrews is about showing us here we don't need an earthly priest anymore. We have a great heavenly high priest, and he lives up there to keep us safe down here. Let me illustrate that to you. Imagine, if you will, a diver at the bottom of the ocean. Now, let's just say this was a diver, I don't know, 100 years ago. Not one of these divers with all this new scuba equipment that they've got now, but a diver back 100 years ago. And imagine he, you go all the way down there to the bottom of the ocean, and you could go down there and talk to him. And you get down there, and you say, well, hello, Mr. Diver. Now, this is a make-believe story. If you said, hello, Mr. Diver, you'd suck in enough water and drown yourself, and that'd be the end of the story. So just follow me here. Well, some of you science junkies... Check me on my science here. This is make-believe. But imagine you could go down at the bottom of the sea and talk to a guy diving down there. And suppose, Brother Kirby, you were to say to him, well, hey, bud, how is it that you can stay down here with all this water surrounding you? You you could live down here. How, How is it you can do that? And he turns to you and he says, well, the reason I live down here is because I've got a friend up there. And he points to a little tube that's connected between his helmet. And so you swim back up to the top and you follow that tube up to a boat. And in that boat there's a man there and he's working one of these pumps, one of these old pumps. How they, that's how they used to do it for divers. And he's pumping. And he's pumping. Maybe he's pumping that air. And you say, excuse me, sir. Could I have a word with you? And he said, no. Why not? He says, I'm busy. What are you doing? I'm pumping this air pump. Well, can't you just stop for just a second and me and you have a talk? He says, oh, oh no, no, no. I've got to keep pumping this air. Well, why is it so important that you can't just stop for a second? He says, well, listen, i got a friend down there that is depending on me. His life down there depends on what I do up here. So i got to keep doing this, and as long as I do this, he's going to be okay. But if I ever stop doing what I'm doing up here, he's in a mess down there. You following me today? Beloved, you and I have a friend up there. And as long as he keeps doing what he's doing as my great heavenly high priest, I'm okay. But if he ever stops doing what he's doing... I'm in a mess. You're in a mess. What is he doing? Well, listen, all the time, eternally up there in heaven, he he is presenting the value of his one and for all sacrifice to his heavenly father. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write... Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.